This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Are you ready for some football? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Great, because there's football happening. There's I brought all my rowdied friends or whatever. How, how does that song go? I don't have no idea how that song goes. It's a Hank Williams Jr. song. It oh, is. no, it's actually called the name of the song is All My Rowdy Friends Are Coming Over Tonight. <laughs> I don't. I don't want any rowdy friends to come over. What if just some of your rowdy, what if some of your rowdy friends were coming over? But do I have other friends coming over who are not rowdy, who will not enjoy a rowdy time? Are they ready for some football? Oh, they might be ready for some football. If every, I think if everybody's on the same page, read football readiness, <laughs> then it'll be a fine party. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Hank Williams Jr. And also Andrew. <laughs> nice to meet you, Hank Williams Jr. Andrew. Uh, yesterday, I went to my first football game. Like, Wait, professional. First ever professional football game? Yeah. How'd that go? It went fine. It was a preseason game. And uh, the Eagles did really well. So... That was cool, I guess. How's it different from baseball, which is your usual poison? Now, I understand that your eye is straying to other sports because the Philadelphia Phil, Philadelphians are doing really poorly this season. Yes. The Phillies is a, a nickname for the full name of the team, which is the Philadelphia Philadelphians. That is correct. <laughs> okay, good. Uh They wanted to call them the Philadelphia Baby Horses, but they decided that that was not. Uh, it's not as good as it doesn't have the doesn't have the alliteration. No, it's going for good. it. Um, just like Ben Franklin wanted us to all worship turkeys, didn't mm-hmm. really work out. Um, yeah, I went because friends of ours had tickets, so I did. I didn't say, "Oh, baseball's terrible. I need a new sport." It's it's cool. <laughs> Football's fine. Um, I just you're not addicted to those Friday night lights. I am not addicted to those Friday night lights. Like yesterday was Saturday. Yeah, the, maybe it was just that the lights were Saturday night. Saturday lights. afternoon lights. Maybe if I had been there on a Friday, it would have been more impactful. Mm-hmm. Even though some dudes were getting impacted <laughs> left and right. <laughs> um, yeah, it just kind of happens. I guess the I was surprised at how I, small it felt. What, That's football. A thing. That's the thing, having gone to a small, lot of like baseball physically games. Small, like physically small or like cosmically small? <laughs> Maybe both. Okay. But, but mostly the former. Having been to a lot of baseball games, I'm used to the scale of baseball games, right? Sure. Where, you know, I'm used to the distance the people are from me and the seats. And, you know, I right. just know the it's layout of the like field. It's just like 12 paunchy dudes mostly uh-huh. standing around. Well, it's kind of nine because you field nine. Uh, so I guess I bet you could field 12 if you wanted. Well, track. depends on Who's how many counting? people are on the bases, but let's not even go there. Okay. Um, 
But the football match, the footballmen just, they seemed, I don't know, they seemed both far away and too close. It's uh, The scale That's fell deep. off. That's really deep. Yeah, and I had a similar experience when I went to my first professional hockey match like a year or so ago. And I was like, where am I in relation to this sport? It doesn't seem right. Have you ever been to a football match, Andrew? Uh, Not a professional football match or a college football <laughs> match. But I did play trombone in high school band, so well, I have been there. That's the thing. See, I went. I was in the marching band as well, and I went to a lot of high school football games. I'm used to how those go. I'm used to cheering for the home team. There. There's always got to be like a one percent chance that a football is going to fly into a kid's tuba. That's the joy of high school football <laughs> for me. That's the joy. Yeah, that's the specific joy of. Wondering if that's gonna happen, I guess. <laughs> Ideally, while he's playing, right? Or maybe while he's oh, not yeah. playing, and then he starts playing again, and the football goes flying back out like the play never stopped. Yeah, right. Like he's got to be playing "Sweet Child of Mine" on that tuba. <laughs> that's one of the songs that we we had like that and "Hot, Hot, Hot." And I convinced our, my senior year, I convinced our band director to do an arrangement of Stacy's mom because it was 2003. And yeah. that's, that was just like the thing. We played the Hey Song a lot. The Hey Song is a staple. Tequila is a good one. Mm, mm-hmm. Even though it's uh, a bunch of like 16 year olds. Hang on. I have no idea what tequila is. Uh, hang on. Sloopy was good because we were in Ohio. Okay. Um, we, a couple of us learned the fight song for one of the other teams that we would play periodically, <laughs> which always got us looks from the band director. We were, we were, uh, the subversive band kids. Ah, I like that. I like always, that look. Always That's living right look. on, right on the edge and As just taking, taking chances. Speaking of subversive, Andrew, each week we cover a book and... I'm gonna hang on to that word subversive because I'm just gonna take a tangent real quick. Okay. We uh, oh, one of us weird. reads That's a book. Weird. I know it's super weird. One of us reads a book and the other one talks about it, and we talk. Then the two of us talk about the book together, and <laughs> you, the listener, listen. And sometimes we talk about football, and sometimes we talk about the author too. So I, when I was talking about subversive, I was naturally reminded of this week's author, Andrew, who is Eric Arthur Blair. Wait, what? A.K.A. George Orwell. Oh, <laughs> that really surprised me. No, that's his real name. I knew that, but when you didn't say George Orwell, I got really confused. <laughs> Surprise! I, got I thought we were talking about a different book for a second. No, we're talking about George Orwell's 1984. We already read Animal Farm for a previous episode. It was episode like 80 or 90 something. Maybe. Yeah. Sure. You'd have to go back. You'd have to go back a bit. We have to um, go back. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never read this before. Even though I think everybody is kind of familiar with its, its some of its core concepts. So like thought crime and Big Brother and all that sort of stuff. So, like a yeah. lot of these, a lot of these terms have been dusted off for these like post Snowden years that we well, live in. Well, but even then, like I am familiar with the reality show Big Brother. That's related. I right? saw that That's Apple ad. That's what this ad. book is about. Yeah, I saw that Apple ad where that guy was a big brother on the screen. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, I know people who have worked for Big Brother Big Sisters. It's a nice organization. Which is weird. Yeah, kind of odd. Um, I guess it's not Big Brother Big Sister. <laughs> it's plural. 
big brothers, big sisters just spies on kids. <laughs> it's just a bunch of big sisters telling you when, telling your parents when you've done stuff. Yeah, ratting you out. That's what they do. <laughs> so um, we ca- we talked about this guy already, but what do we need to talk about this time? <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want to get the full scoop on on Eric Arthur Blair, you can go back to our previous episode. Now, one question that we could not answer in that episode, as I recall, was why he decided to go with George Orwell over Eric Arthur Blair. And I found a Quora.com post with oh, several man. with several plausible sounding explanations. That's a that's a place to go. Now, you told me that you thought you'd figured it out, and now you just told me that you found an internet like repository of guesses now see if i had told you i had found guesses before would you have let me read it on the show i don't know that was a thought crime that you just had they double think <laughs> um the consensus on quarter.com mm-hmm. why did eric blair write under the pen name of george orwell is the question um is that he either wanted to protect his own reputation or his family's reputation By using a fake name instead of his real name. So that's why he did it. When did he start using it? His first published book was Down and Out in Paris and London. He didn't want to embarrass his family who would find out that he had lived as a vagrant. Oh, okay. Says Steve Farr on Quora.com. What are Steve's qualifications? Uh, He has eight upvotes, which (laughs) is the most upvotes of any post on this uh, this little board here. Okay. Steve's really getting Steve's really so, getting those Quora creds. I think that's uh, that's something you could print out and hang on your wall. I think. When was that book written, Andrew? Do you know? Uh, the book was written I, in 1949, I believe. It was not long before he died because he lived from 1903 to 1950. Interesting. It is interesting. Now, what do you, what do you want to talk about about Orwell? I told you well, what I know. What do you know? Well, I know that. Going into this book, it seemed worth looking back up kind of his political journey. And what was his journey the, like? Take me on, take me on a journey. I'm gonna do a bad job. Um, what else the, is new? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the new era of the podcast, where it's just as quote unquote good as the old. Um, in the twenties. He was right. He was critiquing everyone and everything. He was some. He called himself a Tory anarchist. A uh, Tory is a British party of government. Tell me anything else about it, though, dude. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind. Uh, he was, you know, going after the middle class. He saw Puritan middle class values as kind of being stricter than aristocratic values, and that seemed to be a potential form of censorship. He seemed out to to take down censorship where it lay. And he went to Spain and to help fight off the uh, fascists there, the Franco's nationalists coming in from France. And he was particularly moved by the success of some anarchic communities in Catalonia uh, and some other kind of really left-wing socialist groups but he was dismayed when he found them being suppressed by Soviet-backed communists, and he, that's which when was a he, group that he did not love. Um, no, we see also Animal Farm, which is For, like allegory and criticism of 
the Ruf- Russian Revolution and Stalin and th- that whole era of Russian politics. Yeah, so he he's kind of on the record as initially saying that, you know, Russia at least had it right by publicly b- saying that they were communist, and then he said that that whole system perverted what socialism is. Um, so then he threw his weight behind Britain's uh, Labour Party, which he critiqued a couple of times, but seemed like the best bet uh, from there on out. Mm-hmm. In 1944, he wrote a letter to a friend of his named Noel Wilmot. And this letter has kind of since been taken as an indicator of some of the things he would work on in 1984. And he's talking about... The book 1984, not the year. Yes, he wasn't working on much in 1984, except his techno album. Pardon? Yeah, don't worry about it. I don't know what that means. Me neither. Was techno a thing in the 80s? <laughs> what? He was dead. I thought that was the joke. He's dead in the 80s. I tried to make a joke on the joke. You don't like double jokes. <laughs> That's a joke, <laughs> joke crime is what you just committed. Uh, his buddy Noel was asking about total- totalitarianism and leader worship in countries like uh, Great Britain and the US. And he was... Orwell Blair was saying that, you know, he agrees that this is not really taking on, um, you know, it's not picking up steam in these nations, but that there are other national movements. And I'm going to quote here, even those that even those that originate in resistance to German domination seem to take non-democratic forms to group themselves around some superhuman Fuhrer, Hitler, Stalin, Salazar, Franco, Gandhi, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. And to adopt the theory that the end justifies the means. He then goes on to say that history has in a sense ceased to exist. There is no such thing as a history of our own times which could be universally accepted. Uh, And he then talks about, you know, if Hitler wins the war, Hitler could just as soon say that the Jews started the war. Um he says that he can't. Hitler can't say that two and two are five because, for the purposes of say ballistics, they have to make four. Which mm-hmm. I think is a funny point. But if this sort of world that I am afraid of arrives, a world of two or three great superstates which are unable to conquer one another, two and two could become five if the Führer wished it. And he then closes the letter by saying, uh, "I think." And have thought ever since the war began in 1936 or thereabouts that our cause is the better, but we have to keep on making it the better, which involves constant criticism. Which I think is a is a, actually a really wonderful way to close out that letter. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of saying that we know who the bad guys are, but we almost have to keep looking in the mirror and calling ourselves bad guys to make sure that we don't become the bad guys yeah right well okay so i don't talk about my day job a ton on this show because it's not (laughs) super relevant (laughs) but um i write about technology and there is this kind of backlash that's sort of continuously going on against people who are being like negative all the time about technology like every time something big happens people are always people are always running to find like whatever the worst or like potentially the worst thing is about it. So for example, some of that, some Google of that, Glass, I think, right? Google well, Glass, like Google, Google Glass, um, like Apple Music, like any any new like service. Google as a company is just is totally fraught because 
it's this company that's got all these really talented people doing really cool things in service of a business that's driven almost entirely by advertising. Okay. So criticism is really is really normal and some of that is because I think negative headlines and things do better traffic than positive headlines. That's true. That's why we live in a world where you have to say this monkey did an amazing thing. You won't believe what happens next. Yeah. Although we we can't just say this monkey did a cool thing. We have to but, you know play even lower than that. Right. Yeah, but I but I think the people who who see that and want people to be like and I I guess I get it. Like technology objectively is cool. Like it's cool that you and I can like video chat over internet pipes and uh-huh. separately record this audio and then create 130 something episodes of a podcast that sounds like we're both in the same room just chilling and having a good time. Well, and that then, is that is cool and it would have been unthinkable like 15 years ago. And then strangers can find it through their own internet pipes, but not just internet pipes, internet pipes that go through the air. And then it goes into their And then it goes into internet the box. computer that you have on in your pocket. Like what is happening? <laughs> So that's that's cool. But to go back to the original point, I think that people, you know, you you have to always criticize. You can't just be in awe of it, like so in awe of it that you would that you would hand over everything to it or that you wouldn't want it to keep improving or changing or like trying to take real people's like best interests into account. That's that's my point basically. Is is anybody who advocates like blind positivity or like blind allegiance to something i think is missing the point of criticism is like is is understanding the role that good criticism plays in like a healthy system okay that's fair i was mm-hmm. that took an interesting turn i thought you were going to critique of excessive critiquing but i see your no, point no i mean there's a there's a problem in excessive critiquing too but i i think overall somebody somebody's got to keep companies honest or like as honest as we can i don't i don't know that we are necessarily winning that battle but no well and i don't th- i don't think that just being like blindly accepting of like anything that comes down the pike is the right way to be either well there's a there's a nice dovetail of technology and government there right it, mm-hmm. these two kind of obtuse systems that are constantly changing and constantly shifting and even the experts are not quite sure then what the next five steps are going to be you know they are they're just a part of the machine even as much as they are able to observe it yeah. so to just throw your hands up and say can't wait to see what happens next is really dangerous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't see can't wait to see what the sequel to you know Invasion of privacy is it'll be great. Man, I wonder what's gonna happen after that big old two thousand nine bank crash. What's the next one gonna do? Let me get my popcorn. <laughs> What'll those politicians dream up next? Is there anything else about Orwell you wanted to get into? Because I think all of this all of this I don't know, everything goes into nineteen eighty four really nicely. No, I think we can start talking about the book now. All right. What now you I don't know that have have you read this book? I know that you either watched or participated in like a play version of 1984 which was okay. I <laughs> As I recall I, it was like an okay treatment of the book having read it. I own a copy of the book. 
have never read it, so you or I were going to read it for this show at some point. Um, I yes, I did bear witness to a production of the show that had good performances in a script that I was a little confused by. Mm-hmm. It was a newer adaptation, I think. So there's always that, and also there's it was an adaptation of a novel, which can get messy. Yeah, well, and didn't it like revolve a little bit more on the relationship between? the characters then maybe about the political points i'm well, trying to i'm struggling the, to remember what it was i would argue that's was. that's one of the one of the issues of bringing a book like this to the stage where your medium is people and you really have to dig into the characters or else you might as well be making like a dance piece or installation yeah. art or something well and so, and so much of this book would translate really poorly to a movie or a stage performance because a big chunk of it is just somebody reading a book and then another big chunk of it is one person just monologuing endlessly to another person. So, yeah, then you have to come up with all sorts of motivations for why these characters that you're now inventing would spew this information. Whereas instead, you can just play with the literary form and have the reader read the thing that the character's reading. Mm-hmm. Ipso facto. Yeah. So what Which is, is what happens here? But yeah, uh, so what, 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 do you, what do you want to know about book? first? Who is it about and what book are they reading? Well, so the protagonist of this book is named Winston Smith. Mm-hmm. He is in his um, late 30s, I think. Now, he lives in a place called Oceania. He actually lives specifically on a place within the super state of Oceania called Airstrip One. Okay. Um, and this is, as we find out, what we would know as like Great Britain. Okay. So it's it's one part of a big super state that includes... The United States, I think Canada, Latin America, like just, just this one, I guess roughly defined, it's like the allies from World War II. Save Russia. Save, yeah, save Russia. Because like the departure point in the history of this of this thing is like what if after U.S. troops left Europe, you know, after, after subduing it, mm-hmm. if Russia was just like, okay, we're going to sweep in now. And they took over everything but Britain pretty swiftly because you know the whole the whole country was just broken like not the whole the whole continent not even a country so okay so oceania is the u.s britain and and a few other places Mm -hmm. um eurasia is russia and what used to be mainland europe okay and then east asia is japan china india like a handful of other territories so that there's this big there are three big super states, and that that letter you read is really is really apt actually because in the in the fiction of this world, all three of these states individually are so powerful that no combination of the other two can bring them down. Really, how yeah. is that? Ar- how is that articulated? the The only other thing I can I that comes to mind when something like that gets brought up. I don't know if you remember from the Ender's Game series, Andrew. They had like a cockamamie reason why nuclear war on earth would never happen again and so it would take like they had technology or whatever so it would take some sort of like crazy political shuffling to actually have conflict i mean i think it's it's basically the same reason why nuclear war doesn't happen in the world that we know right i mean mutually assured destruction okay that's the understanding in this book i believe yeah mostly great um because 
all three of these super states, they all have developed this system of belief, like this political system that they're all essentially the same. Okay. They all are political parties formed to support this like state of perpetual war where the countries are always fighting with each other. And and the book the, one of the cases the book makes is that by being perpetual war is no longer like war as we know it. It just becomes reality and these and these entrenched governments can use this unending war to control the people in a lot of ways. You just you bummed you just bummed me out. <laughs> this book is a bummer. I mean, can we it's a bummer because of of what happens in the book itself and it's also a bummer because I mean, one of the reasons this book has become a mainstay is because I think no matter what era that you're living in, you can point to stuff and like pick out elements that are recognizable from real life. So so everybody who lives in Oceania, like there there are three different classes of people. There are the proles who barely matter, like the proletariat. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the outer party who uh, mostly are like the worker bees who do a lot of the stuff, but their their standard of living is not great. They are under heavy surveillance um, and they're always being monitored for like signs of of disloyalty. Sure. And then there are the inner party who have slightly more privilege but the book i mean the book tells us that by like pre-war standards their standard of living is also pretty austere but the inner party people are the ones who are pulling the the levers okay for the most part Um, are they working for anyone above them is there well so there's this figurehead at the top of the at the top of the stack called big brother but as well you know as you find out in this book there are few constructs in the society that do not I don't know that don't exist to perpetuate to perpetuate the state of of total war or like war all the time. So Big Brother, it, he's probably not actually a person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Winston asks, you know, is is Big Brother a person the way that I am a person? Like, does he exist in that way? And the answer is basically that it doesn't matter because, like, collectively we believe that he exists, and so he exists. This is like in the Star Wars expanded universe after God. Emperor Palpatine <laughs> was killed it, by Darth Vader, how a core group of Empire top leaders reassembled videos of him so that he could still give speeches to the furthest reaches of the Empire, thus perpetuating the idea that he hadn't actually been killed in the first place. Kind of like that, I guess. Thanks for sticking with me, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's, I guess let's dive into the book's biggest and hardest to grapple with idea first, because that seems like a great place to start. Yeah, sure. That's an easy, let's bite off more than we can chew right away. The deal with this society, and I'm going to, I guess I'm just going to jump in and read some stuff. Hey, man. So the the argument that this this political party makes is that it has it's basically figured out why other parties that got into power fell out of power and it's fixed it so that they can never fall out of power so it's it's put forward that there there are three classes of people there are the high and the middle and the low sure and the high 
exist to rule, but eventually they get complacent and fall out of power. The middle exists mostly to become the high, like they they yeah, aspire yeah. to jump from the middle to the high. You need and an one, aspirant class. Yep, yeah, and once they and once they become the high, the the, the cycle perpetuates itself, and then the low people can so rarely can they can they lift their heads up from the state of like toil that they live in like they just they they essentially don't matter except insofar as they can be used by the other classes against against each other okay so like the middle the middle class could whip the the low up into some kind of fervor against the high and in in so doing like displace the high but the like the low people their status wouldn't change. They'd just be elevating up another group of, of people into the upper classes. So wait, you said that the party has figured this out? Yeah, so th- there's there's this... Man, there's just there's there's so much about this book to unpack. So, so Winston Smith is our protagonist. He works in this place called the Ministry of Truth. The Ministry mm-hmm. of Truth's job is to continually tweak the past so that it always lines up with the present so the the, the two most plus famous two is five yeah yeah okay. so so two plus two is five like the most famous example that people could probably quote from this book without even reading it is like we have always been at war with east asia so oh, okay. like i said there are these three super states the allegiances are always changing but whatever con- whatever super state you're aligned with and are fighting against like those that's just the way that it's been even though in the action of this book Winston remembers, okay, four years ago, we were at war with East Asia. Then we were at war with Eurasia. And then like in the middle of a rally against Eurasia, suddenly the person who is whipping the crowd up into the state of frenzy, like mid sentence starts saying East Asia instead of Eurasia. Hmm. And the people, the people look around them at all the banners that they've made and everything. and, And they say, Oh no, these banners are wrong. Like we've been duped. We've got to tear them down because we're at war with East Asia. Like we're, uh, we're not at war with Eurasia. That's terrible. Okay. So Winston goes through his life vaguely discontented. Like he's he doesn't like the party. He doesn't like Big Brother. He's he's bothered by the work that he's doing. Is he in the middle group? He's in. The, yeah, he's in the outer party. Okay. And he's. He just he continually grapples with this idea of of changing the past. Like he's got he's got things that he knows happened differently than history will say that they happened. So he knows that they were at war with Eurasia instead of East Asia. Mm-hmm. He knows that these three party members who were tortured and confessed these terrible crimes, he knows that they were not he knows that he, they were like out of the country when they were supposedly committed these crimes. Like he found proof. Like he sees all these memos come through. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if, if, so if the, if the party says, you know, we harvested X amount of grain and it actually turned out to be like Y amount of grain, like a lower amount, it's Winston's job to go back through, not just like the most recent papers, but every, every written record that the society has and make sure that it was always predicted that it would be Y amount instead of X amount. Yeah, you'd have to go back and like change initial crop projections and round up all the insurance people. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Like there, yeah. there's this one, there's this one sequence where the party announces that it's going to reduce the chocolate ration from like twenty, from thirty grams, I think, to twenty. 
I don't know how much chocolate that is. is I don't know how much chocolate that is, and I also don't remember if grams is the right amount, but 30 and 20 are the right number. <laughs> sure. Okay. 30 chocolates the, to 20 and then, chocolates and then, the, and then the next day, the party announces triumphantly that they will be ri- raising the chocolate ration to 20 grams. Oh, snap party. You did not. Yeah. And it's just kind of accepted that this is the way it is. This must be the way that it always was. If I remember anything else, it must be wrong. And that's the part that Winston has trouble with. Okay. Can't imagine why. Yeah, right. So he he finds this girl named Julia who claims to love him and they they fool around some and they they quietly like foment insurrection. Like they can't really do anything as individuals in the society, but they both for different reasons are dissatisfied with Big Brother, like do not like the party, do not like the society that they live in. Yeah, of course. And I I think I, I seem to remember that this the play production that you were involved in I was not involved, I just watched. Or that you watched, I guess. I you were dating somebody who was involved in it. Yes. I think is why I think that you were involved. Correct. It's not right. <laughs> I believe that might be correct. <laughs> Well, it's correct now because we've recorded it, and so that's just what the past. That's what that's what it always. You know what, Andrew? I was in that show. You were always I was always the in, that, in show. that show. <laughs> you directed it. I, I wrote that show. I am <laughs> George Orwell. Oh no! I've always been George Orwell. You've been living in a shack with Kurt Cobain and Tupac this whole I time. I did release a techno album in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing that we do on this show is like. When we make a joke that I, I'm i not sure is going to work, and then we power through it, and then we reference it later in something that I do think was working, and so I have to make sure that we preserve the crappier joke. That's so that how I get one you to sense. not edit most of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own sneaky thought crime that I am infusing into this show. I am glad that we are being open with each other about this now. Way to pull back the curtain. <laughs> What were you we talking about? We were talking about uh, the production and the relationship. Oh, yeah. The, the so, production so Winston, that I starred Winston, in. Winston, <laughs> Winston and Julia um, meet up a bunch of times and are and and think that they're being all sneaky. And they eventually go to this guy named O'Brien, who the thing about this society is that there's there's a thing called thought crime. And it's it's base it's a it's a word in Newspeak, which is the English derived official tongue of Oceania. Even though like nobody actually like regular English is still the written word, but the the goal eventually is to cut down Newspeak so that people literally cannot articulate speech against the party. Yes. So like cutting out any words that could that could like effectively analyze their situation and then and then like empower people and and inspire them to rise against the government. Institutionalized censorship. Yeah. From a systemic intellectual level. Yeah. Yeah. So so Newspeak exists to do that. And then there, there are these words in Newspeak. So thought crime is you thinking bad things about the party. Yeah, not like not like sins of the traditional sense. No. So so the the entire society, like the outer party especially is watched 
forward signs of signs of discontentment because the proles are generally held as too stupid to rise up against anybody. Like they're too focused on their day-to-day existence and they're too poorly educated to understand the, you know, anything about the way that they live. So, so it's the outer party people who, who simultaneously hold the society up, but also could bring it down if they wanted to whip up the low class. Sure. So there are these telescreens that simultaneously announce things and then watch you all the time, which if you've got like a Nest camera or even if you own a computer <laughs> with a webcam, like there's an implication at one point in the book, this guy says, you know, I never had a telescreen. Mm. It, there's like this implication that at one point, like maybe the telescreen was, I I read it and I know that like this isn't valid because the guy who says that later turns out to be a member of the thought police, but when I read it, I was like, oh, so maybe these were sold as like really awesome gadgets once. And then later the terms of service got changed to like <laughs> enslave humanity. I don't know. I saw an article the other day that was like, hey, you could, you should go check those Spotify terms of service because they are all up in your Facebook friends now. And if you don't want free music, just get away from them. I never they linked are... my Spotify account to Facebook in the first that's, place. I never did that either. I resist but... linking accounts to other accounts. Because it is that's, just like... my, that's my way of fighting back against Big Brother. Silo your entire existence. Yeah. You want to know how many times I listened to, to Kiss from a Rose? <laughs> and where I listened to it? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, sucks to you, Big Brother. But you won't see my photos of eating hot dogs. <laughs> So what is this? What is this thought crime that we're talking about with O'Brien? Well, so Winston, the the point is, I keep getting further and further from the points I'm trying to make. The point is that this society has gotten like facial expressions down. Like it, if you make oh, the yeah. wrong facial expressions, they're gonna think that you are doing thought crimes, and them thinking that you are doing it is enough to get you like vaporized. Well, so then they'll rewrite history to say that you were always thinking thought crimes well they will rewrite history so that you never existed they will make you an unperson i have made a list of new speak words that we need to talk about so we talked about thought crime which is thinking ill of the party crime stop is recognizing that you are thinking ill of the party and like deliberately suppressing that but but that seems like a catch-22 because if you ever voiced that you crime stopped you would get rid up for thought criming. Well, that's a dou- that might be an example of double think. Oh no. Which is the ability to hold like two contradictory thoughts in your mind at once. So like so take Winston. <laughs> Wait, do we like or do we not like double think? Or we don't is it like, both cuz it's double no, think? Double oh, think no. is bad. Double think okay. is not great. Um so take Winston like he he knows that anywhere he goes, he's going to see that they've always been at war with East Asia. But he knows that it used to be Eurasia, and so that's that's an example of double think. I've got I've got actually an excerpt from the book that I can Hit read me. to you about double think. Hit me. To know and not to know, to be conscious of complete truthfulness while telling carefully constructed lies, 
to hold simultaneously two opinions which canceled out, knowing them to be contradictory and believing in both of them, to use logic against logic, to repudiate morality while laying claim to it, to believe that democracy was impossible and that the party was the guardian of democracy, to forget whatever it was necessary to forget, then to draw it back into memory again at the moment when it was needed, and then promptly to forget it again, and above all, to apply the same process to the process itself. That was the ultimate subtlety consciously to induce unconsciousness and then once again to become unconscious of the act of hypnosis you had just performed even to understand the word doublethink involved the use of doublethink so it's huh then why then why would you ever want to teach someone doublethink <laughs> it's just it's necessary to to lull these people into the complacency that helps keep this political party in power what if a, if a government takes control of its citizens in the woods but no one's there to watch it does it double think mind trap double think <laughs> no <laughs> are there so any the, other the society, i need to know uh own life is uh, anybody who seems to have individual individualistic tendencies those people need to be watched you're an own lifer yeah, and then unperson is somebody who has been wholly wiped from the record. They, you know, they don't, they just don't exist, and people have to pretend like they don't exist, and in pretending they didn't exist, making it true that they didn't exist. That's some double think this, right there. Yeah, and That's this double goes think. back. This goes back to a Roman concept called yes. damnatio memoriae, which yes. I learned about in college. It's one of the pieces of classics knowledge I've retained. Hey, I learned that too. And you can go through like Roman art and see pictures of families and then like one person's face has been gouged out and that's like Damnatio Memoriae. It's like when you like learn about an adulterous relationship on SVU or Law and Order and you see someone has like cut their faces out of a bunch of wedding photos or something. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. exactly that's exactly is. right. All right. So now that we understand the subtlety of facial expression in the society. So eye rolls back. are out. No let's, eye rolling. Let's go. Yeah, you. If you eye roll, you're dead. <laughs> Tina Fey would not exist for like five seconds in this world. She would just not. She would not be able to to deal with it. Okay. Um. So Winston, th- there's this there's this inner party member named O'Brien, and Winston once like met his eye, and through his facial expression came to understand that this was a guy who like understood him, who he could talk to. Okay. And so Julia and Winston go to O'Brien and say, Uh-oh. we we understand that there is this underground group who's fighting against the party. We want to join it. Like Winston, Winston hasn't been able to completely articulate what is bo- what bothers him about the party. But he knows that he knows that he broadly disagrees with it. He knows that it just bothers him. And so he goes to O'Brien like believing that he has found through facial expression this ally who can who can help him uh join this this brotherhood capital B brotherhood of underground people who are trying to fight against the party and to to get people's like individual individuality back and to to make things better again um, I'm going to guess this doesn't work out. Yeah, it doesn't work out. So to get all the way back, <laughs> like to, to unbranch this conversation all the way back to the first point we were trying to get to, O'Brien eventually ends up interrogating Winston because, whoops, O'Brien was like a double agent guy the whole time. And his one of his jobs is to weed out people who who are thinking ill of the party. 
Mm-hmm. And so this gets back to how this party has has stacked the deck so that they always are in power and never like fall prey to this high, middle, low, like yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 the rest of society is always followed. And he and he says, "We do not m- merely destroy our enemies; we change them." And so he's he's saying, "Take take like the church. Like if there are people who are speaking out against the church, like you can burn them at the stake as a heretic, but people see them going to the stake unrepentant, and they become a martyr." Yes. So this party has figured out how to avoid martyrdom. Yeah. How so? so? Um, let's see here. Um, the command of the totalitarians was thou shalt. Our command is thou art. No one whom we bring to this place ever stands out against us. Everyone is washed clean. Even those three miserable traitors in whose innocence you once believed, Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford, in the end we broke them down. I took part in their interrogation myself. I saw them gradually worn down, whimpering, groveling, weeping, and in the end it was not with pain or fear, only with penitence. By the time we had finished with them, they were only the shells of men. There was nothing left in them except sorrow for what they had done and love of big brother." It was touching to see how they loved him. They begged to be shot quickly so that they could die while their minds were still clean. So basically, not not only are we not letting people be publicly executed and and becoming martyrs, not only are we like locking people up in secret prisons and just not not letting people find out what happened to them or like beating them into submission, we are trying to change them and like cleanse them so thoroughly that they actually love big brother. They actually agree with the party. Like there's, there is no resistance left. And at that point, once they are completely accepting, we can kill them and nobody's going to remember. Well, yeah, because anything that made them an own life is gone and there's no point in paying attention to them at all. Yeah, pretty much. Like like Winston is broken down and rebuilt basically. I mean, that's the that's the only word for it. Like he's starved and beaten and electrocuted and interrogated and brainwashed until you know, um O'Brien at one point is holding up four fingers to him. Like like Winston has a secret di- wait, diary. Just, wait, wait, it's just like it's, just it's like the Star Trek, Star Trek Next Trek? Generation episode. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Winston and O'Brien are having this conversation, and 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 Winston at one point wrote in this diary, "Freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two is four. Okay. And O'Brien says, "If I say two plus two are five, then that's just what's true. Like if I if I say that, and if everybody believes it, then it's true." So he holds up four fingers. And he says, how many fingers am I holding up? And Winston is just like, he's, he says four and he gets shocked. And O'Brien says, how many fingers am I holding up? And Winston says five. And O'Brien says, no, I know you're lying. And then Winston gets around to saying, I wish, I so wish I could say that it was five and mean it, but I cannot. Like it, it is mm. four and I can't understand it as anything else. And he gets shocked so thoroughly that he cannot correctly see the number of fingers and at that point he's like it might be four it might be five i seriously don't know and that like 
that placates O'Brien. That's held by O'Brien like as a sign of progress. So so Winston is wholly broken down and rebuilt, and he's like actually re-released back into society, but he's just this pitiful shell of his former self. He goes to this bar, he drinks this crappy gin, and you know, people know who he is, but he just they, like you don't you don't talk to a guy who you know has been tortured by the government. Like you don't I don't know. He's just drowning his sorrows all the time. He's not, he doesn't really have any of the former resistance that he had. Mm-hmm. And the understanding is that as soon as the party knows that he actually has broken down and loves big brother, which he does, mm-hmm. that's when they're going to kill him. And yeah. That's what they do with everybody. Cause then nobody cares about him and he's gone. Yep. That's a bummer. Yeah, so I mean that that's pretty much the that's pretty much the those are the big ideas that the book is wrestling with. I mean, I want I wanted to talk about it structurally a little bit before we got into the big stuff, but it's just so as you can probably tell like everything just just gets all entwined. But uh what was so the interesting first, about it structurally? Just the there it's split into three basic parts. So the first part is Winston and it's just him by himself and he meets Julia and they hang out and they go to O'Brien and they get this book. And the book is written by this guy named Emmanuel Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Except that, like so many other things about the party, it is strongly implied that Goldstein is just like a construct to keep people fearing the enemy, to keep people to keep people worked up against somebody. Kind like of in, a, in another place it's Im- of Big Brother, like it is the it is the boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's the he's the leader of the brotherhood. He's this boogeyman who everybody needs to be worried about all the time. And then, like, to the same end, there are bombs that are being dropped on London all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, supposedly they are bombs from Eurasia or East Asia, uh, probably East Asia, because we've always been at war with East Asia. Are we getting into a, are we getting into a like jet fuel scenario yeah false, yeah. It's a false flag because it's it's also implied that <laughs> oh, oceania is just dropping those bombs to like impose no. a state of perpetual war on people oh, no um isn't it doesn't it suck when stuff like this and the matrix are like subverted by crazy people and oh. you can't properly like enjoy the entertainment anymore because it's well, it wasn't. I mean, this was not meant to be entertainment, right? So there's something there. Like there, it would be really nice to. No, I, I, you know what I mean, though, right? Yeah. Well, like the like, red pill people. I don't know. <laughs> Are those people? This may or may not survive the editing process, so don't refer to it later. Um. Yeah, it's and then so, so the second so the second part of the book is. Winston gets this book that's supposedly written by Goldstein and then he's just reading it and that goes on for a few chapters and that explains like the breakup of the world into these super states, the fact that they are at perpetual war with each other, the fact that that perpetual war keeps resources tied up, keeps people scared and tied up, helps these parties consolidate their power, um, that kind of thing. Okay. And then the third part of the book is... Whoops, actually, the little old man whose attic Winston and Julia had been meeting in this whole time was a member of the Thought Police. And so Winston is taken into imprisonment, and the majority of this third part is him and O'Brien sort of interacting with each other and him being broken down and also 
O'Brien monologuing and explaining, okay, what was there was a oh man, there's a good thing that I hope that I bookmarks. Let's so is he like villain right. monologuing or is he? It's it's interesting do, because indoctrinating. It's it's indoctrinating because Winston, the feeling that Winston had that made him go to O'Brien in the first place, the feeling that this was a person that can be trusted, still comes back even like amidst the torture. Like he thinks that O'Brien can still understand him, and so that makes him not hate O'Brien to the extent that you'd think that he would yeah um, well because so he, o'brien he, understands him as someone who needs this torture from the state's perspective like there's a certain amount of intelligence behind o'brien to yeah be like o'brien and o'brien and winston have similar thoughts and similar amounts of intelligence but the the difference o'brien says is that winston is insane because he's holding on to this idea of like i have individual thoughts and memories that that define what the past is. So here's here's the section I want to read, and this this can probably be what we what we go out on is um, there is a party slogan dealing with the control of the past. O'Brien said, "Repeat it if you please." Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. Repeated Winston obediently. Who controls the present controls the past. Said O'Brien, nodding his head with slow approval. Is it your opinion, Winston? that the past has real existence. Again, the feeling of helplessness descended upon Winston. His eyes flitted toward the dial. He did not only, he not only did not know whether yes or no was the answer that would save him from the pain. He did not even know which answer he believed to be the true one. O'Brien smiled faintly. You are no metaphysician, Winston, he said. Until this moment, you had never considered what is meant by existence. I will put it more precisely. Does the past exist concretely in space? Is there somewhere or other a place, a world of solid objects where the past is still happening? No. Then where does the past exist, if at all? In records, it is written down. In records and in the mind, in human memories. In memory. Very well, then. We, the party, control all records and we control all memories. Then we control the past, do we not? But how can you stop people remembering things, cried Winston, again momentarily forgetting the dial. It is involuntary. It is outside oneself. How can you control memory? You have not controlled mine. O'Brien's manner grew stern again. He laid his hand on the dial. On the contrary, he said, you have not controlled it. That is what brought you here. You are here because you have failed in humility, in self-discipline. You would not make the act of submission, which is the price of sanity. You prefer to be a lunatic, a minority of one. Only the disciplined mind can see reality, Winston. You believe that reality is something objective, external, existing in its own right. You also believe that the nature of reality is self-evident. When you delude yourself into thinking that you see something, you assume that everyone else sees the same thing as you. But I tell you, Winston, that reality is not external. Reality exists in the human mind and nowhere else. Not in the individual mind, which can make mistakes and in any case soon perishes. Only in the mind of the party, which is collective and immortal. Whatever the party holds to be the truth is truth. It is impossible to see reality except by looking through the eyes of the party. That is the fact that you've got to relearn, Winston. It needs an act of self-destruction, an effort of the will. You must humble yourself before you can become sane. Here's the thing, though. Yo. Here's the thing. He's got a point, though, right? I love Big Brother. <laughs> I love him so much. He's got so oh, many no. good points. No, but like, 
in the middle of that, he gets into that. He gets on that riff. He's like playing his guitar. He gets on that riff about how the past is. You can't go to the past. It's not a room in your house. It's a bunch of books. And what if it was knows? a room in your house? Oh, I would never. It smells so bad in there. Um, <laughs> what? Who knows where those books came from? Those books came from Goldstein, or they came from O'Brien, or you, you crazy person. Like this is. There's something not untrue about that argument that is very frustrating yeah well i mean it goes back to history being written by the winners like our understanding of history is shaped by what has been passed down about history so like going back to the romans again like we have very few primary sources the primary Mm -hmm. sources we do have are almost always going to be politically motivated Mm -hmm. like we can try and reconcile what they're telling us with what we can dig up but there are going to be holes and there are going to be there's going to be room for interpretation. Like, it's just, we don't know what actually happened. Now, I I mean, I do think that there is one thing that actually happened. Yes. And, you know, we're at least still free enough to believe that, I guess. But <laughs> God. I can't, like, I can't prove that. Well, n- no. And in, in, we haven't really talked about, since since we stopped talking about Google, you know, two years ago, whenever that was. <laughs> Um, the uh, we have always been talking about we have Google. Ha- Google has always been here. I love Google. The uh, <laughs> the idea that the internet I and mean, the internet is like a I don't even want to go to into like anonymous Mister Robot Land, but like who is archiving an objective version of the internet? No one, because like Twitter's going into the Library of Congress, I guess. But is all of it going into there? No. Are like all the, the fart jokes thing, going in there? The only thing about the internet that exists now as it did like back at the dawn of the internet is the Space Jam movie website. <laughs> <laughs> that is eternal. What did he say about what did he say about the party? It is something and immortal. The Space Jam website is that. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's and and at that point the the metaphor that you can carry out is like it's not the party that necessarily controls it but whoever it's an issue of access right like you can yeah. catalog as much history as you want let alone whether or not you're remembering it correctly we've all listened to serial we know how plastic memory is mm-hmm. um if you even if you wrote it down and it's correct who holds the key to that library? Who has the server still powered on? Well, and even if you write it down and it's correct, well, guess what? Like, there's a whole building full of people whose job it is to change the official record. So what are you but a crazy voice in the wilderness? Like, what what reason do we have to believe you against the official account? I didn't know you felt that way about me, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not not you specifically. Like, the <laughs> the royal you. <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there, there is a really good reason why this is, why this book is, has persisted the way that it has and the way, the way that it eternally seems relevant. And I mean, it's, it's just a really well written and well constructed book. I mean, you can see its fingerprints all over just about any alternative history book that you're going to read. Yeah. Now I don't remember, I, we don't, we're one of us should probably look this up as I'm asking this out loud. It, did Brave New World come first? Um, I don't remember. That always kind of gets spoken of in the same 
breath. It did. That's come 1931. First. So that did. Yeah. Come first, I guess. Um, but it, I think seems a while it is dystopian. Seems a little less. You know, it is not about Big Brother, from what I understand. I guess I'd have to read it to know, yeah. like we, whether. We, I mean, is, is is it held to be like the the originator of the, if not the, the alternate fiction, like the alternate history book. If not the originator, it is certainly part of that oeuvre. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is dystopian fiction. And, and I read um, Fahrenheit 451 fits it, is the one that I read at, at the time that maybe I would have read 1984. So like yeah, all maybe of... we'll have to have a guest come on and read that one sometime because we both read it, but I think it would be a good one for the show. And we yeah. read like we read Man in a High Castle. We mm-hmm, read mm-hmm. Handmaid's um, Tale. Handmaid's Tale, you're right. Those, I think those are the two big alternate history books that we've read. Yeah, I think and, the, the thing yeah. about Handmaid's Tale that seems relevant here is that that construct where you don't know, you don't actually know who's in charge and you don't actually know who's on what side. Everyone yeah. seems to just be bad. Everyone is in on it in as much as they need to. The thing I the the one I guess you could say the in, like the mid book info dump in the form of another book is the clumsiest thing about this book, and that's something that <laughs> that stuff like Handmaid's Tale and uh, Man in the High Castle kind of avoids. Like you're you're left to pick up what's happened because of context clues. Yeah, but I get I mean I guess if you don't want to do that, if you just want to know like what happened, you the the approach that 1984 takes is better, even though. You know, Gold the the book that Winston is reading that Goldstein purportedly wrote was actually written by O'Brien, so it introduces this whole other level of like unreliability to it. So it's just it's it's like everything else in this book, it goes down and down and down, and there's no end to it. It's some double thing. Yeah. So I think that's nineteen eighty four. Great. Now if someone it, wanted if to someone wants to have thought crimes at us. No. Don't just send internet. send some photos of kittens to overduepod at gmail dot com. That's our email address. You can also post like cool food photos to our Facebook page at facebook dot com slash overduepod or like tweet a funny gif at twitter dot com slash overduepod. Uh, I got a whole list of people who've been doing something like that in the past week or two. Alicia, Raiden Fracture, Jillian, Sophie, Connor, Claire, Chris, Lee, Catherine, Elizabeth, Lauren, Evan, Phoebe, AJ, Ariel, Taylor, Rebecca, Katrina, Mrs. Homringhausen, Sarah, <laughs> Sadia, Sean, Lainey, Amanda, Ducky, Michael, Oswaldo, Stephanie, Rebecca, Scott, Cynthia, Alex, Richard, Nasha. And on our iTunes page, Andrew, we'll talk about this in a little bit, someone left a review, very nice review from Pirates, Inc., Andrew, what next? <laughs> if you want to find out more about the show, you can go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet destination. Uh, you can click on our iTunes, Stitcher, and RSS links to subscribe to the show and get new episodes every Monday when they drop. If you want to find out more about the podcast network that we are a part of, you can go to HeadGum.com. Um, HeadGum has a lot of different shows. They have uh, If I Were You with Jake Hurwitz and Amir Blumenfeld. They have Gilmore Guys. They've got uh, Twinovation, which I guess is the show where people make fake invention ideas. I love it. Which sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have a show called Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, which where they watch a different movie every week and evaluate the various stereotypes and things that, that come up in those movies. Yeah. I think if you go there, you're going to find another show that you like. Um, 
And then also, if you want to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and uh, give us a little bit of money directly. That helps us pay for books and just keep the show running smoothly. This um, is, is a bonus episode that came into existence because of our patrons. So thank you very much. And I think that means that patrons might be listening to this a little early. Is that true? Andrew? I think they might be. Now, if you were listening to it early, come to our live show, August 29th <laughs> at the Tattooed Mom in Philadelphia on South Street. If you're listening to this a week later than everybody else when it posts, thank you so much for coming out to our live show. <laughs> August 29th at the Tattooed Mom in uh, in Philadelphia. I assume that the show went great and that you had a great time and that we had a great time. We read Ghost at a Watchman, right, Andrew? We did read it in the past. Yeah. For the show that happened. I'm dizzy with double think. Andrew, get us out of here. <laughs> Craig, what are what what's happening next week? Oh, we're talking about The Hobbit. We're having a guest on to talk about the Hobbit. I guess next week or last week. I don't. I I've don't lost track of when. even. Know. We have always been talking about the Hobbit. Right. <laughs> so yeah, all right. A lot of you said that you wanted to hear us talk about the Lord of the Rings. So we're gonna kick things off. Craig's sister Jill, a longtime fan of the podcast, is gonna come on and talk about the Hobbit because Craig and I have read it already. Mm-hmm. And then I think in September, if all goes according to plan, Craig is gonna read all three Lord of the Rings books. Buckle up. It's a lot. Now I'm dead. I read the books. <laughs> okay, everybody. We will see you next week. Or maybe we saw you last week. I don't oh, know. no. Um, until then, or since then, try to be happy. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.